talking hockey. AQ Shipley, we're talking hockey. Mike Johnson. Not great. You shoehorned it in, but A for effort. Had to do it. Had to do it. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to That's Hockey Talk. That beautiful voice you heard was our pal of the pals up north, our northern friend, Gumpy. Gump, how you doing? Beautiful day, my friend. Absolutely. I'm Nick Rotto, of course, and joined, as always, by, well, not as always, whenever he feels like it, uh, our Super Bowl champion, our resident Super Bowl champion, AQ Shibley. AQ, how you doing, buddy? great two days in a row let's do this oh i know and uh the re- we're recording these back to back because i'm on vacation this week so we didn't want to leave uh all the die hard that's hockey talk fans out there the thousands and thousands of you clamoring for more we wanted to leave you with some content while i was out of town so uh mike johnson from nhl network from tsn from nbc guy has a thousand jobs uh was kind enough to join us and he gave us a good bit of information, uh, a couple laughs along the way, and we had a nice little job at near the end reminiscing about uh, some old international rivalries between the states and uh, the Maple Leafs up north. Dog know. fights. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> a couple dog classic fights. dog fights, huh? Uh, but all right, let's get right into it. Let's jump into the interview with Mike. Uh, thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now, one of the best broadcasters in the biz. You hear him on the radio. You see him on NHL Network. You see him on NBC. You see him on TSN. You see him all over the screen. Uh, Mike Johnson. Mike, how's it going, man? Happy to have you back here. Yeah, good to be back, man. I appreciate the intro. Yeah. It, listen, you think in the pandemic, life's weird, work's weird. But I can tell you, I think I've been busier than I've ever been before, which is a good thing. Now that all of a sudden you can work from home. It's like you're a doctor, like you're on call anytime you want. You're available to the studio. So it's uh, it's been a busy run, which I'm not complaining about. Oh, uh, you got to love it, too. I mean, look, you're, you're not even suited up. You're just looking fresh in the T-shirt, looking relaxed. Listen, what I'm trying to do right now, I just went for a run. It's a rare kind of spring-like day here in Toronto. So I went for a run. And you know when you kind of you have a shower after a workout and you're like, is it going to take? Is going to still cool down? going to stop sweating eventually? So yeah, I'm just... I'm just taking it easy. Classic Seinfeld does the shower take. I love it. Uh, Mike, Got I want to talk to you about Toronto and the Leafs. You mentioned Toronto, but uh, I got to start with what's been the hot topic in Tim Peel and the officiating. Uh, I saw you put out a couple tweets about it. Obviously, the hot mic catches Tim in the incident. He's no longer refing games. He hasn't been officially fired, but they've removed him from officiating games. Uh, I want to know, you've done a lot of broadcast work. You've called games. Uh, a, how does this happen? And B... What's uh, I want to get your take on the whole situation with being a former player yourself over ten years in the league, your interactions with officials. Uh, have you have you experienced anything like this in your time, uh, either in broadcasting or playing on the ice? Well, I think the answer to A is probably a little bit easier. Apparently, some audio tech in the truck was trying to see if his mic works because all the refs are mic'd every game because they got to do the microphone up to the penalty on on Mike Johnson two minutes for being an idiot. So they were checking on that. And apparently it went through to the broadcast as they're bumping a break. I guess they just didn't cut it off to oh, send it out. So no. it was just a mix-up, which is brutal because, you know, I, I know Tim Peel. He lives in St. Louis. I played at St. Louis my end of my career. I'd see him around the city. The, the nice guy had a good, long career as an NHL official. I think this is a tough way for it to end because I think this is where people remember Tim Peel initially. will be like, oh, he's the guy who I was forced into retirement because – he got caught making up a call and acknowledging it. So, um, you know, I feel for him. But I, I think as a former player, as a broadcaster, like this is nothing earth shattering. The fact that referees in any sport, basketball, football, you name it, that they have 
a sense of they don't want to be a story. They don't want to be the group that's the story after the game. So they got to try to call it so it all comes out in the watch. So if I got three holding penalties against this team, I better get a holding penalty against this team just to make a team equitable. And that's normal. I think athletes have come to expect that, unfortunately. Um, we hear it clearly the way he was talking about it. Tim Peel, that is. Very casual. He wasn't embarrassed about it. He wasn't like, I shouldn't be saying. There was nothing taboo about what he was saying. He was saying it to the national bench. Hey, boys, I had to give you guys one. You guys have been doing whatever. So it wasn't a secret. It was something that he was very comfortable talking about. So I think beyond suspending Tim Peel, you could, you couldn't. He's retiring in a month. What are you going to do? To me, as a former player, as a broadcaster, as a fan of the game, I think it's an opportunity for the league to you know, talk, figure out why the idea of game management, makeup calls, having the same number of penalties on each team each night, why that's a thing, why that is acceptable, why that is expected, and, and, and kind of publicly say, we're okay with it this way, it's going to continue, or publicly say, you know what, we don't like that, we want the refs just to call every infraction in a vacuum, is it worth a penalty, is it not? There's still a judgment there, but don't let other things like the score or the number of penalties dictate well, I, I, I don't let that one go. The team's losing 5-1. They don't need to go on the penalty kill again. Well, forget that. Reward. This is the NHL. This is not, this is not peewee football. Like, reward the team that's playing well and give them another power play. If you're not good enough, you take penalties, then too bad. you got to kill penalties a lot. So I think that is the bigger picture and bigger conversation that I hope occurs out of this, although I'm not so sure it will. Yeah, it, we talked about this at length last episode, and, and just like you said there, I think the key thing is we all hope but I don't see it actually happening. Now, I'm curious, mm. has your opinion on that changed at all going from player to broadcaster, kind of removing yourself and getting that uh, upper level view on in terms of uh, game management? Um, maybe I've become less emotional, more clinical about it as a broadcaster. When you're in a game and you feel like you're getting the short end on calls and you don't, you're probably not the most uh, rational in those moments because oh, yeah. you're so emotionally invested, then you probably aren't you're probably not as bothered. You're like, yeah, we deserve that, mate. We deserve that penalty, even if it was good or not. Like we did, like that's fair, even though it's probably not. And, and but when you're playing, you don't always think things through that clearly, especially during the games. Um, so uh, yeah, there is that. But the one thing I am sensitive to now, having working, is the idea of a live mic. Yeah, oh yeah. Because you know we're on air. You guys are all on air all the time. And I was doing my one of my radio shows last week. And again, out of home, weird control control room setup. Our entire commercial break was going out on air. And like, who knows what you end up talking about on the commercial break? Could be anything. <laughs> and it yeah. could oftentimes be things you probably don't want to maybe go out for broadcast. So I am sensitive to the pitfalls of an open mic and, and how it's kind of tarnished Tim Peel's legacy a little bit. But, um, but as a broadcaster now, I, I kind of see it. I don't care who wins. I don't care about the results. And I want to reward good play i want to award good players i want to award skill and speed and goals and i don't need to feel so bad about like the checking line who needs to hook a little bit more and try to get get away with some fouls because they can't keep up like if you can't keep up then we'll try to find someone who can i'm not trying to cost people jobs but you know like that's the nature of sports so uh maybe i'm not quite as emotionally involved now that i'm a broadcaster well, also you've done you've done local and you've done national broadcasts as well, so it's uh, mm -hmm. that's also a different step in terms of getting oh, emotionally involved. You know what? It's a really good point. It's a very good point because I think local audiences 
like they kind of want their broadcasters to be a little bit biased. Oh yeah. Like in some cases, like Jack Edwards, like incredibly crazily biased. But like for the most part, like they want to when when it's a bad call, they want to kind of hear you railing like, ah, we're getting screwed here. Like this is no good. Like I, I think you're right. Uh, whereas nationally, you know, you're supposed to call it right down the middle and maybe take some of that out of it. But there is a bit of homerism that is to almost be expected at this point, which is which is part of the part of the reality. Yeah, you got to throw a little red meat to the wolves and get them riled up every once in a while. Exactly. Uh, but you mentioned you know Tim Peel uh, because you spent time mm. in St. Louis. You, he lived there. You got to know him. Uh, two things. I think his legacy will not just be of, of this because I think most people in the know and who follow the sport realize that this was happening and going on for a while. So I think they'll kind of give him a pass in that regard. Mm. Uh, also, scored a goal with a penis. I mean, that, that Bartuzzo shot that went right off the crotch into the net. It's pretty good. And that was a strong ricochet. If you did not see it, he was almost standing in the corner that against the f- boards. Like that's a tight angle. That's got to make good contact. That's not a glancing blow. That is that was a Crosby or Lemieux one that's time. That's a magic bullet. If we're going to the Seinfeld references. So like that is, yeah, that is, uh, yeah, he's he's famous for that. But I <laughs> sadly like he is. He's a good rapper, or not? I mean, that's all very personal. What you like about officials, but um, I think the first thing when you Google Tim Peel. For the next five years, the first thing first thing that's going to come up is this, which um, is unfortunate because the point remains. Like he was saying it out loud and got caught, and I think he probably deserves to get punished for that. But the fact is, you know, refs talk about this in private. Yep. They may even talk about it out loud at their private meetings with their bosses. Like it's not something that's a secret. So um, in that sense, it's uh, it's almost unfair because it's very common. The other thing with you knowing Tim was we want to mention AQ made some slanderous statements last episode alluding to possibly gambling connections with now how popular legalized gambling has become in the States. Uh, Do you Mm -hmm. think the NHL said they were going to investigate? They obviously suspend him. But like, is there any concern about opening up that can of worms? No, there's no concern about that at all, like that being a thing. But what the what was correct is that. I think the emergence of gambling in all aspects of sports and hockey's kind of late to the game because hockey's such a brutal game to gamble on, but we do it anyways. <laughs> um, I think the uh, the image of, of of being you know in maximum integrity, no impropriety, no reason to ever guess. You know, you're betting on an over under prop on how many penalties are in a game or the goals. Like you, you never want to give anyone a reason to say, "Hmm, I wonder if Tim Donahue's yeah. roughing tonight in the NHL." Like, that that sentiment is true absolutely because we all know like sports are clamoring for money in this post-pandemic world whenever it gets going anything to try to recoup what the last year has cost and gambling is going to be a big part of that including in the nhl so i mean i think that might have played a role in the very swift and strong reaction of the league uh saying you know any question about integrity or calls or predetermined decisions we got to nip in the bud hard so no one can ever say that and i think some of that has to do with gambling well said uh gambling on hockey is hard if you're gonna do it please do it at FanDuel sportsbook uh aq (laughs) go ahead i'm sure you got some questions yeah so you alluded to earlier you said something along the lines of when he said it to the bench right you said something along the lines of um you know maybe it could have been something like that he saw in a previous game or you know and we talked about this at length yesterday that i know in my sport we we get reports on referees before the game. Do you, I mean, is that kind of the, the chat or the noise box that you're hearing that it was just something along those lines? Maybe he saw 
Nashville coming out early, doing something a lot, and we're going to get something on him quick. Yeah, exactly, because because the sound bite was clipped, right? You wanted to hear the next sentence. Oh yeah, I want right. to effing give a penalty to Nashville. Like, <laughs> what? Why? Like, tell me yeah. why. You leave me hanging there. Let me know why. But I, I think sure. it was because he felt that they'd gotten a little chippy or gotten away with something in a previous period, um, and, and so that's it. Um, but I so we don't. What's interesting about us though, if we don't get official reports, like we wouldn't know. Tim Peel is prone to call trips or roughs or misconduct. So we don't know those kind of things. We don't get those statistical reports. We don't ever, as a hockey sport, we don't ever ever get to hear. Assuming you guys did right, like that's what we assumed that you guys got the same reports, kind of like we Mm -hmm. did. So that's interesting Mm -hmm. to hear to hear that you don't. No, I mean you might have a sense once you played enough years. Like you know, I know Timmy Peel. I can say this much to Mm -hmm. him, and then I won't get in trouble. And then once I go to a certain, then I will. And that comes with experience, but it's not actually written down. And I saw a great little stat. Like, so in the NHL, 62% of the games end up with a range of one penalty one way or the other. So one yeah. team with one more, even or one less. 62%, which is preposterous that it's that many games are within that close to each other. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It completely reinforces the idea of game management. And Tim Peel, in his games... It's only 58%. He actually does it less, when he, like <laughs> fractionally less, but just a bit less um, as far as game managing, making sure all the penalties even out. But the fact that over 60% of games end within one, are we? Are you telling me that every game there's the same number of penalties occurring? It's, 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 it's beyond common sense. And I think that's the conversation that, that hockey should have. Yeah, Mike, I was just going to ask about that. You touched on it. Like, There's no way that every game, two teams who play – commit the same or within one amount of penalties like what do you think they will do or do you think they can actually make that change so this is this it goes one of two ways right it'll go like the strong stripe wall where they keep doing it exactly the same like you know we call it the same we're protecting our guy by end up being that way it's like a defense mechanism saying where we, you know what he's being accused of isn't actually factual or you have guys saying I want to make sure no one ever thinks I'm game managing as everyone's going to be counting penalties over the next uh, few weeks and making sure, oh, why in a 7-1 game, how could they possibly have the same number of penalties when one team clearly is way better than the other? And you might see some games where it's 6-2 or 7-2, and they don't bother. And and they'll call, like last night, there was a, a penalty against Calgary trailing by a goal on a cross-check to the upper face area that some they might let go, but they called it. Like, you might see some stuff like that in the very near future just to kind of prove a point. See, I'm not like that. Yep. I don't manage games. I call it. It can kind of go one of two ways, but I think long-term, I bet if we ran the numbers for the rest of the season or ran them for next season, it's probably 60% again, unless they make a conscious decision to change that. But they can. That's the thing. I remember at 4 lockout. They came out and said, we want no more hooking and holding. So the first few games, there's like 25 penalties. Yeah. Which sucked, but like you figure it out as a player. Either you stop hooking people or you stop getting to play. Like you figure it out. They'll find someone who won't. And you know they they want to you know they want to eliminate slashing in the hands because some guys broke their hands because they're getting slashed in the hands. So now anytime someone gets one of these little taps in the hands, they call it a penalty. Like players figure it out. The rest can adjust. So if the league really wanted to change this, if they went out publicly and privately to the ref said. We got your back. We'll support you. No problem. If the penalties are 9-1, we don't care. We got you. And said it publicly, 
then they could change that sentiment. Just a question if they want to. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they do. That's a, that's a big question. Um, right, we've been we've been hammering refs when we talk about refs for a long time. Let's let's talk about something's a little more close to uh, the Leafs. What's going on with the Leafs? They they start out the season just fire out of the gate, just blowing everyone away. Austin Matthews looks like a runaway heart candidate. Looks unbelievable, and uh, seems like a little skid lately. Is it just like the the mid season doldrums? Because uh, I heard Brian Burke doing a radio interview, and I didn't even realize this, but like with the COVID protocols in place, when these guys are traveling. They're, they're not leaving their hotel rooms. They're getting to the places. They're not going out uh, with the boys, going to get dinner every night. They're just eating in the hotel, sitting in the rooms. They're not all to leave or anything. That's got to wear on you. So is it you think it's just that type of fatigue, or is there something fundamentally here going on uh, after the hot start? Well, I mean, I think you can't blame fatigue because every team has to sit in the hotel, right? So right. they're not the only one. Like, everyone, like, it sucks. Like, being a professional athlete in the NHL, beyond the paychecks and the games, the best part is like traveling around and going to different cities and, and going out for dinners and having fun. And none of that exists. Like you can't even four guys in the caps got suspended for getting together and having a beer in one of their teammates room. Yeah. You can't go even though they're on the rooms. bench together. They get tested every day together. And after a game, they went right back to their hotel, but they went to somebody's room, had a beer and watched some Russian movies, whatever it was four Russian guys <laughs> and they got suspended. So, um, you can't. So, that is a problem, but it's not their problem. What I think it is is that, you know, they've got off to such a good start. Power play was almost unsustainably good. Shooting percentage was unsustainably high, and their goaltending was lights out. And almost all those things have predictably come back down to earth a little bit. They're still playing really well. Freddie Anderson, their goalie, has not been very good. And then the other one is Austin Matthews, who seemed like he could not miss if he tried. He's got a wrist injury where he's still playing, but it hurts him to the extent where they don't let him take face-offs all the time, and they don't let him play in the same spot in the power play because he doesn't want to shoot from 40 feet, so now they got him around the front of the net. And even the best goal scorer in the world, which I think Austin Matthews is at, the, at this point, like oh, you take him out of his comfort zone, you take a three-point shooter and say, okay, listen, you can't get it up from 22 feet anymore, so we're going to put you in the block. Like You're still going to get points, but you're not going to be quite as good, and I think maybe some of that's going on with Austin Matthews. But... I still think they're the best team in Canada. I still think they have a very good chance to make the semifinals. They're just going through a, a bit of a dip. Fair enough. AQ, what do you got? Yeah, just um, how do you see – I mean, obviously the Canadian division really has been not very good top to bottom, right? There's a couple teams obviously shining. Um, how do you see this whole thing shaking out? What do we got, 19 games? I don't know, maybe a little less than that mm. at this point, right? So how do you see this whole thing shaking out across the board? Well, careful there, because the people in Canada take great offense to you suggesting somehow this North Division is not very good. Hey, it's entertaining. So it's, it's entertaining. We like the goals. We're all full of offense up here. We got all the stars. Yeah. We got all the leading scorers. <laughs> um, no, but you're, I, I think it's going to be chalk. I mean, where it is right now, it's Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg basically tied for first. They'll, they, yeah. I think Toronto's going to win. Who knows? And Montreal's hanging there, but they're currently in COVID protocols. They're not playing for the next week. But Winnipeg or Vancouver is struggling, injury, they're not that good. Calgary is the surprise team. I thought they'd be really good. They're not. They've already fired their coach. They got some issues. So I think the top four teams will make it in whatever order, and the bottom three will miss. Okay, yeah. let me piggyback off that. So now I think I saw a report earlier today that they lessened the quarantine to seven days, correct? So mm, um, correct. who's going to be buyers? Who's going to be sellers at the deadline up there? Sorry, say that again. You cut out every second. 
um, who's going to be buyers and who's going to be sellers now that, you know, there's going to be probably a few more trades with the deadline going down to uh, seven days on the quarantine. It's an important fact though, because before it was two weeks and mm -hmm. you know, as an at like, if you not only do you not get to practice or play for two weeks, you can't leave your hotel room. So while everyone can jump on the old Peloton and, and spin for 45 minutes with Abby Love, but like it's not going to be quite the same as um, you know playing. So like you get traded with a month less left in the year. You got to sit out two weeks and then try to jump in, get up to speed the last two weeks. It was really tough. So they just changed it to a week, which will help the Canadian teams. I think there's two distinct buyers. I think it's Winnipeg and Toronto. I think Toronto has a need in their top six wingers. And they are very motivated to try to get something done this year because the opportunity that's in front of them with a weak North Division, as you call it. And I think, <laughs> and I think Winnipeg, same kind of reason. They got, they may have the best goal in the world. Well, no, Vasilevsky. They have the second best goal in the world in Hellebuck. Um, but they need defensemen. Like they need one or maybe even two defensemen because they have great forwards. They have three really good scoring lines. So if they could get a defenseman or two that could step in their top four or five guys. They become a much tougher out. So I think Winnipeg and Toronto buyers, I think Edmonton because no money and Montreal because no money, they might be tinkerers, but nothing really serious. And then everyone else is maybe sellers, maybe whatever they can get done. Yeah, Mike, Vancouver did so well in the bubble last year. Why do you think they've struggled so much? Do you think it's just they really miss Markstrom or do you think there's something else there? You hit it. That's it. Like okay. everyone was so pumped up about Vancouver because they did so well and they and, and it was fun to watch. They weren't that good last year. No. Markstrom was that good. Yeah. They weren't. And and I think you, you dug into their numbers, you're like, this hardly seems like something, like a long-term recipe for success. You know, they give up way more chances. They give up way more shots. They give up way more zone time. All the things that would lead you to think they're going to struggle, they were there, but they had the great equalizer in their goaltender. So they lose Markstrom. They lose Tanev as well, not as sexy as Markstrom. He went to Calgary too. And that was Quinn Hughes' buddy. That was Quinn Hughes' security blanket. And while Hughes piles up points, he's also piling up goals against. And he's had trouble kind of balancing that act. Uh, and while Demko in the last month has been Markstrom-like, and that's why Vancouver went 7-2, and two, again, it's, it's not fair to ask your goalie to be Dominic Hasek yeah. every night because nobody's Dominic Hasek. And that's what they kind of need to be competitive. Now they have injuries. Patterson's out. Um, you know, they got salary cap issues. they got an empty bottom six. They've got all kinds of problems uh, and without great, not even good goaltending, great goaltending, they're going to struggle. So I had them coming sixth out of seven in the preseason predictions for me. I hit that one, but I also had Calgary as second, so I missed that mm. one. But um, I, you could kind of see this coming without great goaltending. Yeah. Uh, so I read, I was doing a little research, and I read that you are a big fantasy hockey guy. And just in talking <laughs> to you here, I've heard you mention numbers a couple times. You're an analytics guy as well. Mm-hmm. I am. Yes. So I am probably. Were you always? Because as a former player, I know a lot of players don't really care for it. Some do, some don't. I right. just wanted to see where you where you fell in back then compared to where you are now. Well, I retired so long ago; they didn't really exist. True. Yeah. Back then, <laughs> right? And like, I'm not lying to you. Like, I wish they did because I want to know what they said about me. Like, really? I want to know like like I know what I think about the way I played and the things I did well and the things that I think I did not do so well. And I'm curious to see if the numbers that people use now to try to uh, evaluate players, if they would reflect the way I thought about myself. I have no idea, and I'm not going to go back and grind them for anyone. <laughs> so if someone wants to do a project for their senior thesis, have at it. I'd love to have my career stats. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I went to university. I got a degree in finance. I like, you know, numbers of you know, math has been my best subject growing up. So like, I, I, I'm curious about that. Um, I've probably been an early adopter or um, you know, interested in trying to understand what that side of evaluation is doing. And it's it's not always easy. You know, I joke I'm okay. I'm good at math. Like, I'll read some 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 prospectuses, and I'm like, I don't have a clue. What lot. they're saying, like I like, it's like it's like it's like it might as well be Mandarin. Like I have no idea what I'm reading, but um, but yeah, no, I am I'm into numbers, and I've kind of been pegged as the gambling fantasy guy at TSN because they I think they somehow got wind that I got a degree with numbers, so like hey, you could do numbers, so you could be the <laughs> gambling guy. So so now I do I get two gambling segments a week. Um, so it's uh, it's kind of a, an evolving role, uh, but certainly I am absolutely one of the. Um, avid defenders of analytics and, and their and their space in hockey. Good to know. AQ hates it. Um, you mentioned you went to university. I love how you Canadians say university. You went to Bowling Green, though, right? You came down to the States? I did. So what? So, but you, you said that as though that might not count as a university. No, no, like, no, no. You no, went no, to no, university, no. eh? But it was <laughs> Bowling Green? Is that, is that, nothing is that against, what you're calling it? Nothing against BG. Nothing but love for them. The I was college, curious right? why you didn't go, like, did you play juniors beforehand or because like in your generation, I feel like college hockey was not uh, mm. the huge way to go. I feel like that was uh, a, hard, a much harder path to get to the NHL. It seems much more common now, but back in the day, it felt like much harder. That's true for sure. Uh, because the emergence of American hockey, all the top, a lot more of the top American players go to college. So the, you know, the, the, the talent, the high, high end guys are, are in college as well. The reason I didn't go is because I was crap. Like, I mean, like, I like no one ever once asked me to go play junior, which is like, you know, the highest level before the NHL that you would play. in if you're going to go straight to the NHL as an 18 or 19 year old, when I was sorry, I tell when I was 16, I was going to the 11th grade and I turned 16 in October that year on my license, which I got in October. It was five foot three. So I was very, very small when I was 16 in grade 11. Five foot three. By the time grade twelve finished, I was six foot one. Oh, shit. so like I was incredibly late to puberty, to growing, to all of it. So like I, I didn't even play AAA. Like the highest level hockey you can play growing up is whatever it's called AAA. Yeah, that's what you play in high school if you're good. I played single A. I played two levels below what you would play if you were good. So the reason I went to school was because my sister, who was the best athlete in the house, got a soccer scholarship to Florida. So yeah. I'm like, well, if she got one. I should try to get one. So when I was in my last year of high school, I went and tried to play the go the route of getting a scholarship and whatever. The, the world's aligned somehow because I wasn't even that good that year, but I, I managed to get a scholarship. And so I went down to Bowling Green. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. No, nothing but love. No disrespect towards Bowling Green. The world's <laughs> a better place for it. We need, your, we need your gambling analysis. We need you talking on the radio. We need you on the air. I'm glad things worked out. AQ, what else you got? Um... Let's see what else I got. Um, I, I wanted to hit this just because I like to, if you can see the shirt here, got my penguin shirt Yeah, I see on. the penguinos. Yeah, I see them. Yeah, we got a lot of Pittsburgh people on this thing. So definitely want to see where you see that division shaping up. I feel like, in my opinion, it's one of the tougher divisions in hockey, especially in crowded mm -hmm. top four, top five, right? So um, how do you see that thing shaking out the rest of the way? You, you gotta, you, you're exactly right. You're exactly right because a really good team's going to miss in that division. I don't know if you can say that in any other division. Like the fifth place team in the East is going to be the best of the fifth place teams. Yeah. And I thought Philly would take a massive step forward. And and I, 
I might have Pittsburgh missing the playoffs in my preseason picks because, you know, there's four solid teams. And I kind of buy Boston and their just ability to win. They just kind of figure it out, even though they're not playing that great right now. They'll get healthier, and I think they'll figure it out. Islanders, Wash are both right there. So to me, it's, it's Pennsylvania. It's Pitt or Philly. Like, pick your poison. Yeah. But what I like for Pittsburgh right now is that their goaltender, Jari, who got off to a bit of a rocky start to the year, oh, bad. he's yeah. been better lately. And the Philly goalie, Carter Hart, who is way oh. higher touted and respected than Tristan Jari might be, he's not been good at all and getting and, and lately been worse than that. Um, so that's that would swing heavily to Pittsburgh's favor. But no Malkin. I don't know how long Geno's going to be out from the knee bump. Like, if it's multiple weeks, there's only so much Sid can do. There's mm-hmm. only so many times they can play Buffalo and Jersey. Um, <laughs> you know, they got Zuckers out for a while. Um, that's gonna so like they need to get healthy because they need everyone around to be as good as they can be. And then once if they get to the playoffs, they're scary because because Sid, because Gino, because Tanger, because you know they they have that that history there. But they're I think they're clearly the fourth or fifth best team in that division, and, and they're gonna be grinding. I'd be scared of Philadelphia getting hot. Yeah. Like prior mm-hmm. to the bubble, Philly was playing better than anyone in the NHL. They were like the hottest team in the last twenty games. If they go like that, Pitt would be in trouble. But um, Billy looks off. So I, I think Pittsburgh is in a good spot if they can get healthy soon enough. Mike, uh, can't thank you enough. A couple cheapies here before we let you go. Just curious. Uh, I'd like to know the most skilled player you played with or against, the hardest mm-hmm. goalie you've ever faced, and then something I like to ask everybody, if you were GM of the league for a day, or sorry, commissioner of the league for a day, what's a change you would institute across the league? Okay, so uh, most skilled player I played with or against. I played with a guy in Montreal named Alex Kovalev. This guy could do anything he wanted, anytime he wanted. Now, the problem was he didn't always want to do it. <laughs> so, like, he, occasionally you're like, you'd watch him and he'd do, like, he was so big and strong and good. And he could shoot the puck like, like Austin Matthews shoots it now. Like, he could shoot it before when you had crappy wood sticks and stuff. Like, like nobody else. And stick handle around guys. He was sick, so sick. By far the most talented guy I've ever been around, um, you know, played with or against. He was crazy, crazy good. Um, so, yeah. And I like a neat, neat guy, but uh, sometimes left you frustrated because he was not into it occasionally and, and he would do nothing on those nights. Um, toughest goalie I played against? Yeah. Uh, the best goalie all time, bar none, not even close, Dominic Koshuk. It's not even close. Like, he, those Buffalo teams, those turn-of-the-century <sighs> Buffalo teams, they lost in the finals in 99 to Dallas. They were good. They weren't that good. No. <laughs> it was like, like this guy, and I know he revolutionized how the game was played, but he was he was so good for those six, seven, eight years. Nobody has ever played goalie that well still, which is amazing to think that, you know, 20 years later and all the advances of technology and training, no one's ever been remotely that good. Um, he is by far uh, the best goalie I played against, which feels good because I think I scored like three or four times against him. So we'll go. take the wins when we get them. Let's go. Um and if I was the commish for a day, this is a good one. Um, what would I do to make the game better? I mean, I, I mean, legitimately, not because it's a hot button topic, this whole refereeing thing. Like, I would, some guys like it. And it I'm curious about what you think. Like, I'm, I'm very much, there's a rule book. It covers everything you need. Like, you don't need to change it all. Yeah. Just, like, read it, apply it, right? Yeah. Like, you don't let guys, like, skirt the edges all the time. And and so that's kind of been a bit of a, a pet peeve of mine for a while. So I, I would tell the referees like, 
preseason game, you're going to call a hook. Overtime game seven, call the same hook. And if the guy takes a penalty in overtime game seven, that's not on you, the referee, for being the big story. That's on the dummy for taking a bad hook. Like, I, like that. that's how I would approach it. The other thing, if I was the commissioner, it might even hurt the NHL, is I would adopt a vigorous international hockey schedule. Love so that. it would be Olympics. It would be more games. I know. I don't know if you played over in Europe. You had a game in London or something. But like I, you know, I'd have games in Europe. I'd have you know, Swedish-driven teams. They'd play in Stockholm for a couple of nights. Like you could do that kind of stuff to to try to continue to grow the game over there. Um, I'd get on a calendar year. I'd have an, a World Cup and make it mean something. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like two two years World Cup, two years Olympics, two years World Cup. Make them mean something. The best players love playing against each other for their countries. Um, so I would try to get the players to sign off on that and make that a priority. Love it. AQ, you got something? No, I love that. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I think what the NFL's done with the Europe thing, I mean, you go over to London, those, they literally look forward to those four games over there every year. I mean, they live for that and I'm sure it would be the same with sports. So, um, I love that. I love that's your take. Well, yeah, as fans too, we just, uh, like, Olympic hockey is the best to me. Like it's it's the best guys in the world going against the other best guys in the world, and and people say yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. But like you're playing for your country. Oh, it does. Like, it, no, it does. Take it seriously, you, and they play hard. You talk to the best players. Like you talk like Connor McDavid, the best player in the world. He is so rattled that he's never had the opportunity to play for Canada. Yeah. In the Olympics, like because the kids nowadays they grew up as the it's like the first Olympics was '98. Yep. Nagano. That was the first one NHL players went to. So anyone born 98 or later, like one of the big moments in their lives is watching Olympic hockey and watching Sidney Crosby, Golden Goal, and, you know, Team, Team USA, Sweden winning in 06. And, you know, like the massive, massive stories for any of the good players, that's something they aspire to do, not just win Stanley Cups, but win gold medals. It matters. And it's a legacy thing. So um, anyone who suggests it doesn't matter, it, they're wrong. Like it matters a ton and it matters – to the players that are the most important in the world, which is the best guys. Well, it's, yeah, it's even the scrubs, like my, I'll take two weeks off in the middle of the year. That's okay. I'll take a little <laughs> vacation, rest and rehab and like chill out and go down to Cabo for a few days. Like, I got no problem with that. And you make a great point there. I think back to like before the Olympics, before 98, I think at 96, and I think of the World Cup they did back then. And I still think of, when I think of Mike Richter, I don't think of him with the Rangers. I think of him from that mm. World Cup and just how good he was in that situation. Because, you know, American hockey hasn't always had the best. We've had a couple highlights. We had 1980. We got that World Cup. And those are one of the ones I look back on. I'm like, man, that's it's awesome. And it's it's so fun to watch. And I remember in like 02, racing home to catch Lemieux playing uh, for Canada and everything. So, uh, but Mike, can't thank you enough for coming. Hang on, on. two things. Yeah. Let's go. 02 Olympics, the sickest dummy goal. Lemieux letting the puck slide through his skates oh, yeah. to Paul Korea. Oh, it's like one, yeah. of the gr- one of the grossest plays you ever imagined. He was like, and it had to be him, right? Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, of course, Mario, why not? And does it bother you that in 06, a Canadian scored the, the series-winning goal for the Team USA? Uh, like Brett Hall got a high-stick goal. I mean, it was a high-stick, <laughs> and he's Canadian. So I'm just curious, did that taint the USA victory in 96 at all to you? I was a BG back then watching it. It maybe you know I was I was wondering how you might feel about no that. we were happy to get it because let's be honest like yeah maybe Brett was Canadian but he grew up in the states his whole life was in the states it's all he knows come on well his hockey in his blood came from Canada <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and that's what he knows that's all right we had the we had the stomach watching Sidney Crosby twice yeah. uh, as Penguins fans just bury us so yeah although to be to be fair in Vancouver 
the American team was by far the best team there. Like by far so. the best team in the tournament. And, and just, you know, they lost one game in overtime against Canada out on the home ice. It's tough to say, but um, anyways, but we want these conversations. We want this dynamic. Absolutely. We want this barroom con- chit chat. And be like, do you remember what happened in, what is it? 2022. And uh, where is the next one in Asia somewhere? Yeah. So yeah, I would get on that. Hopefully we'll get it next in a year. DJ Oshi, he when he scores those shootout goals, he's an American icon without even having to win the tournament. I was I was watching that somewhere at my cottage or something. I'm Canadian, clearly. I was like screaming like a four year old. Oh my god! Oh, he's going again! Oh my, he's going five <laughs> again! I can't! I'm like kids, get down here! You will not believe what's happening. Yeah, those are the moments. That those are the moments you live for. Absolutely love it and love having you on, Mike. Appreciate it so much. I know you're busy, so thank you so much for chatting with us. Uh, everyone go follow Mike on Twitter. Check out his stuff on TSN. Uh, and can't wait to watch you on TV, man. You're the best. Appreciate it. All right, boys. Anytime. Good talking to you. Cheers, boss. Thanks, brother.